everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. So this morning, we continue with our About That Life series. And um, over the course of the last few weeks, we've been in this series and really coming off of Easter, talking about what does it mean to live this resurrected life? Uh, Post-Easter, we, we can get, you know, at Easter, everybody kind of gets hyped up and, you know, maybe depending on your church context, people get a little bit dressed up a little bit nicer. Uh, people start demonstrating their affinity or lack thereof for pastels. Um, you have, you know, Easter egg hunts, all the hype, all the hoopla, and then afterwards we can kind of have this lit down and forget the resurrected life that was actually purchased for us. We go back into old default mindsets. And uh, so we've been expanding because my prayer is that we would not just relegate or we would not limit the idea, the concept, the, the outer working of the resurrection to just Easter Sunday. Like you can sing and we can declare the resurrection all year round. Y'all hear me this morning? All right, I'm just going to encourage you, respond. We can talk. We can interact. I don't know what church context you came from. Maybe your mom or mother superior would slap your wrist with, with, with something if you interacted. But we welcome you to interact. If something's registering with you, you can help and let me, let me know. Just don't cuss me out, but you can interact. Amen? Amen. Thank you very much. Uh, but the whole year... We are to live and to function and operate under the resurrection. And so the first week we talked about baptism and how in order to walk in resurrected life, there is the assumption or there is a prerequisite of actually dying. Nothing can be resurrected that has not died. And so we talked about what, how water baptism is actually is an outward and a supernatural demonstration of the old self, the old life, being put to death, that when I go into the water, I'm putting the old self, my, my old ways and lifestyles and a life of sin to death in a watery grave, and I rise in victory in Jesus. We make a declaration, is a public declaration of my allegiance to Jesus. It is both a proclamation and a protest against the things that are dead. Then week two, we talked about two concepts, two spiritual concepts called righteousness and uh, righteousness and sanctification. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody took notes. Uh, which essentially are theological terms for being in right standing with God and becoming more like God. Talk about how in a moment that righteousness is not about your to-do list. It's not about you doing everything right, wrong, or indifferent. It's about Jesus and what he did in a miraculous moment on the cross rising three days victoriously so that we could be in right standing and right alignment with God. But the sanctification is a process. It's how he walks us through the mundane moments of life and teaches us and helps prepare us or, or refine us and shape us and mold us to become more like himself. And this last week, we dug into the passage in Colossians where 
Paul is exhorting and helping them understand that in Christ we now have a new wardrobe, spiritually, so to speak, you know, that though we used to be clothed, we used to operate and function under different mindsets and patterns of the world and dead patterns, that now we are called to throw those things in the trash, to clean out the closet, and to now walk in righteousness and love and unity and peace and joy that he's made available to us. Today, we're going to continue on this theme, and we're going to talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart. It's something that defines us. It's something that directs us, and I believe it is something that makes us downright dangerous. Today, we're going to talk about the topic of worship. In Colossians, where we've been spending much of our time during this series, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we got into it a little bit last week, and we went into, as Colossians is playing out how we ought to live, and what does this Christian life look like lived out? He's been speaking about kind of these different sides of things, the, the life in, in death and, and our old ways and now contrasting them with the new ways that we now walk in. And then he goes on into chapter 3, verse 16 to kind of talk about how do you cultivate this? How do we work this out? How do we live this out? How do we know what is right? How can we understand the will of God and to be able to live this out. And so he gives some instruction here in Colossians 3.16. And so I'm going to read this portion. I want you to read it with me. You can read it on the screens or in your own Bible. I always love it when you have your own Bible with you because that way you can see it for yourself and you can visit it so you know where it is when you look later on during the week because I know that's what you do. But then I also want to expand on it. So we're going to read in Colossians and we're going to jump over to Romans 12. Beginning here in Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Then I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking in these moments that we have this morning that you would help us to see that your word would come alive in us. Lord, that you would help us to recognize the areas in our lives that are aligned with you and are not. And Lord, that you would give us the courage and you'd give us the grace to put to death and to cast down false idols and to lift you up. Lord, that you would give us the grace and the supernatural power to break off from the old ways of living and functioning and to begin to walk in your ways, to align our hearts with yours. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. All right, this morning I'm going to title this message, 
I live for the drop. Now, I don't know how many of you, I know all of you, at some form, there's some genre, there's some genre of music that just, it's just your jam. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever been in a conversation and maybe you are like at a party or you're at the lot, it just wherever you are where there's music being played and you're like in a deep, meaningful conversation or maybe it's not even that deep and you're just looking for something else to do, but you're in this conversation, all of a sudden your jam comes on, right? And it doesn't matter who you're talking to, how stimulated the conversation is, once that part of the song that gets you going, you're just like, oh wait, I'm sorry, hold up. I mean, you just feel it, especially if it's like an EDM song. I don't know if anybody, we got any EDM fans in here, but uh, come on, I knew you would be with me. I knew you, I knew I have one. Uh, but, you know, it builds up. There's always a part right before the drop where it kind of builds up. It's like, and you can feel your heartbeat. You're like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. You start anticipating it. And it just that drop. And so you just kind of feel it. You're talking. You're thinking. You might be somewhere. As soon as that drop, you're just like, wait. Ah. You just, it, it gets you. It captivates you. It's just there's certain ways that music, it just grabs our heart. It motivates us. It drives us. It can fuel us. Like, especially for those of you, you know, who uh, are married or pre-married or wherever you are, you know that music can set the mood right or kill it. Like, you have that bomb set list. There were certain songs. I remember Kelly and I both, when we were dating, there were certain songs we were like, we cannot listen to these pre-marriage. Like, there's just, my, like, Marvin Gaye cannot be on the list. Like, not where we're trying to stay right. You know, we can't have all of a sudden Marvin Gaye creeping on our playlist during date night talking about, ding, 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 oh, girl. You're like, no, no. I don't need that healing right now. I can't have that. Not today, you know, or, or even like there's just certain songs, like even at the wedding, like when you go to weddings, you know that there's a good possibility that you're going to hear certain songs at weddings or events. Like as soon as you hear, you see people that have zero rhythm in life, but as soon as they hear, everybody clap your hands. I mean, all of a sudden, it just gets you. It captures you. And throughout history... Music is part, it, it, it affects us and it moves us and it compels us many times to do great things or not so great things. And it's important for us beyond just sometimes when we think of worship, we only think of it in a musical sense. But music, but worship is a much broader, compelling, holistic, powerful thing that doesn't just affect a genre of music, it actually affects our impact, and who we will be. Worship defines us. Worship directs us. Worship makes us dangerous. When we think about worship within a biblical sense, and as I read in Romans 12, the word worship here, it talks about presenting our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our acceptable form of worship. This word worship, it's a Greek word that comes from the word proskuneu. 
which means to lie towards. It's like a dog that lays at the feet of its master. And what you worship, everybody in here is a worshiper. You were born, you were formed in this world worshiping. So the question is never whether or not you're going to worship. It's who or what will be the form or the object of your worship. You can't avoid it. We were all made and designed to worship Yahweh, the one true and living God, the Lord. It's in him that we are fully made alive. And when we worship anything other than God, that is really idolatry. That's us aligning our hearts, submitting, surrendering ourselves to a lesser thing, which ultimately leads to death and brokenness and destruction. And really the heart of it, as I was talking about here in Romans, is surrender. Worship is surrender. It's submission to a person or a thing that we acknowledge or elevate in our lives. It's an alignment of the heart and mind. It's a posture of submission followed by expression in word and in deed. And it is, in fact, one of the most powerful forms and forces for both good and evil. And it's for the following reasons, as I've kind of laid out these three. I want to start with this, that worship defines. I don't remember who actually first said it, first, or said it the first time. There's an old quote that says, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. We are what we surrender to. What we yield to has the power to define us, to define who we are, who we become. Sometimes it's consciously, many times it's, un, it's subconsciously that we are indoctrinated by things that shape our look or our lifestyle. The careers that we pursue, the things that we choose to do or not do. You know, oftentimes you can tell a person's what, what people are listening to or what they're watching, whether it's in movies, in music, in the things that they confess because of the outworking of their lives. They say, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can get at least an idea of some of the things that have come in. See, whatever you put in is eventually going to come out. It's like asparagus. Whatever we take in is going to find a way to express itself. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you struggle with a deep passion and you're struggling with the idolatry of biscuits, like myself, God's helping me, you know what I'm saying? There is an outworking of that. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, am I being plain enough for you guys this morning? You know, there's, what we take in, what we align ourselves to, what we submit, like there's this guy that is at every Colts game, and he is like, you have no question in your mind what his team alignment is, because he has like this big old Colts horse helmet on. He looks like a Colts transformer. I mean, this dude is incredible. Same thing with the Pacers. Like, you can tell by the colors that these people are wearing who they have aligned, the team that they have aligned their lives to based on the outworking of it. In the same way, there are things that are sometimes subtle or not so subtle in the way the things that define who we are, who we are as men and women, who we are in terms of our placement in, in our socioeconomic conditioning. I remember, like, one of the things I was thankful for is that my parents did not allow us to be defined 
by our surrounding circumstances. Just because we may have lived in a certain time or a certain area in town did not condemn us to a certain ability, capacity to dream and believe for what God could do in us. Sometimes we are defined by the circumstances that we find ourselves in because at some point we surrendered our hopes and dreams to that thing. Many times the things that if you want to know what you have elevated in your life, think about the things that practically cause you to make changes. Like, and there's some of these things that are not all idolatry. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are certain things that I will wear or not wear because of Kelly. Right? Because I've given her an elevated status in my life. And so she will lovingly say, are you really going to wear that? And I will contemplate not wearing it. Not always that I do. So if I'm ever wearing, ever wearing something that's just off, just know that I do have a wife that loves me. I just was walking in rebellion. <laughs> but if you want to know what you worship, you look at what defines you. We're called to be defined. That's why Paul was challenging in, in Colossians 3.16 because he's helping them to understand you must be in this word. You have to challenge and instruct yourself in the ways of God. You will not just become like God just by accident. You actually have to be saturated. You have to remind yourselves you are to come with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Why? It's because when we confess these things, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so whatever you confess and whatever you saturate yourself in, you will begin to take on that form. It's why flamingos have a pink hue is because of what they consume and the shrimp that they take in. And so they reveal their diet based upon what it's based upon what you see on them. And the same thing, if we are just consumed by lust, consumed by insecurity, consumed by self-worship, we will function out of that lust, out of that anger, out of that hopelessness, out of that selfishness. We will allow ourselves to be defined. Not only that, but if we are saturated with the culture that we live in, we will become children of that culture. One of the biggest challenges in coming into life in Christ is the sanctification part because you have been saturated, trained, and programmed to think a certain kind of way in a world that, is not of, that we're not of. And now you wake up in newness of life and you begin to read this Bible and you begin to see that what it says about you is very different than what the world says about you. And then you begin to find yourself in a conflict that some young men in the book of Daniel found themselves in. Worship defines you, but also worship directs. What defines you will also direct and determine your trajectory and your pace in the world around us. In the book of Daniel, you can turn there, it's in the Old Testament, we see this kind of probably what many of us face today where here were a people who had been taken captive. Essentially, the son of Josiah, who was a righteous king, his son betrayed the things of God, betrayed the ways of God, and was eventually taken into captivity by a wicked king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. 
And this king, not only did he ransack and he pillage the Jewish people, but he handpicked some of the best and brightest to be able to really utilize not only their you know, natural resources, but their human resources. And four young men that were taken into captivity, one was named Daniel, and then you had three others, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when you read the book of Daniel, what you will find is much of it is dealing with this concept of learning how to worship God in a foreign land. How do we honor God in the midst of a culture of idolatry? How do we follow Jesus and going, while going against the stream of the world that we're in? And so with this identifying of leaders, one of the things that they faced immediately is the grooming process. The king and the Chaldeans at this time in Babylon, they had a way in which they developed their excellent young men and women, the way that they developed the elite. And some of these practices were contrary to that of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they found themselves immediately at odds with the way that things had been. And respectfully, Daniel had spoken up and he said, Sir, uh, we hear what you're doing. We recognize, you know, that you have seen us. You want us to be on this track. But we actually... We, we are aligned and we are committed to honoring and worshiping God above you. But test us. Test us and see after two weeks of us, you know, have doing, operating in a diet in a way that honors God, if we are not found better in better shape and better health than your other men. I don't know about you guys. One of the things that I've interacted with so many times is we, Kelly and I, have worked with various young people that work in, that have heart uh, aspirations of doing things in the arts community, the entertainment industry, is I hear time and time again, well, it's just what you got to do. If you want to make it, this is just what you got to do. You know, if you want to make it in this world, if you got to make it in this field, you got to show a little skin. If you got to make it in this field, you're going to have to compromise. If you want to make it in the business world, you're going to have to be cutthroat and you're going to have to fudge the numbers every once in a while. If you want to, if you want to make it in this career, you've got to step on other people and you've got to, you've got to cheat and you've got to manipulate. And we can get so caught up in what the world says we have to do to accomplish success. When in reality, God is not going to call you to do something that you can only achieve by unrighteous means. If God has a place for you to go, he has a way for you to get there. And it's gonna honor him, and it's gonna bring glory to him. And so it was found that they were tested, and after two weeks, it says that they were found to be 10 times better than the rest. And so they were placed in positions of leadership. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were positioned. Now in this specific story, in chapter three of Daniel, we find that this king, Nebuchadnezzar, as we already knew, was full of himself. And he had had a statue of gold made and erected so that everyone that would come from far and near and wide, and he had leaders from all over the land come, and they were commanded that at the sound of the music, that when the beat dropped, that when the, the lute played, when the music played, that everyone was to bow down and worship at the feet of this idol. And to not only worship the statue, but to worship all of the false gods that they had attributed to. And so here, in the face of idolatry, the word got out that some of these guys are not following the order. 
And they singled out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And word came to Nebuchadnezzar specifically that these three were not bowing their knee. And there had been a decree that whoever does not worship, whoever does not bow, whoever does not surrender, when, when the sound goes forth, that they would be cast into a fiery furnace and put to death. And so I'm sure King Nebuchadnezzar, he hears this and he's like, man, these are, these are some of my best guys. Surely there was a mess up. Maybe they just didn't hear it. Maybe they just didn't, re- re- they didn't get the memo. The text didn't go through. Let me get them in here. So he calls them in, and he gives them the run. He gives them the breakdown again. He's like, hey, (laughs) I know you guys might not have heard this. It's been a crazy week, but I just want to let you know that when the music plays, when the heart plays, when the beat drops, you need to bow down, you need to fall down, and you need to worship all of our idols and the statue of me. And so the music played. The beat dropped, and they didn't bow. Now, every single day, we have a choice as to what, how we will respond to the different rhythms in our life. As I alluded to before, beats and music and rhythms have been used throughout history to affect people, particularly on slave ships. You would also find that they always find that there would be a drummer or a beat that was playing to determine the cadence of the rowing, to determine the cadence of the oppression and the slavery. There is a cadence to our captivity. There is a sound that our captivity utilizes to inundate us and to indoctrinate us to think and live and function a certain way. And we don't even realize it at times until that same old cadence comes back. It's amazing how you can make a commitment to follow Jesus and you can say yes and you can cry and you can weep and then you find yourself in a situation and the old music starts playing again. The old music that convinced you to think a certain way about yourself, about others, about your life. And we begin again to be defined by our old patterns which affects our direction. However, in that moment, the reason that those three men did not bow is because they had already made up in their mind who was going to define them. They were already made up that we worship God, Yahweh, Elohim, the one true God. And so anything, anything that is in an opposite direction of him That's not us, because worship directs you. What you align yourself to, what you've submitted to, is going to determine the direction that you're going to step in. Now, this absolutely just ticked off the king. This incensed him. He was enraged, and he immediately demanded that these three men be cast into the fiery furnace. Now, I just want to, this is like an encouragement, and this is a warning, and this is an exhortation. Because one of the things I found out real quick is that sometimes you can think, like we can make an idol out of being liked and out of being approved by everybody else, 
And it only gets exposed in conflict. So like when I was a freshman in high school at Lawrence Central High School, predominantly I had grown up in a Christian home around Christians, around church folk. I was homeschooled. And so that was kind of like my, my, my world. And then particularly when I went to eighth grade, I went to eighth grade in a Christian school, which for those of you who've ever been to a Christian school, not everybody in a Christian school is Christian. That's a whole other story. But generally, we're at least like, you're going to see each other at the Newsboys concert, you know, or the DC Talk concert. And it was just kind of normal, you know. But I found myself going to this public school, going to LC, and I'm riding the bus for the first time. And my first week was a very eye-opening week. I don't know if you ever seen the movie Lean on Me, but there were some things that were like, lean on me. I was like, oh, snap, this is for real. Um, but particularly this day, I'm on the bus, and I'm an older brother, and, you know, I'm like, I mean, I was so saved, my shirt, my whole wardrobe was saved. Like, I had all the God side shirts, and like, if it was Tommy Hilfiger, it was like, I had the Tommy Hellfighter shirt. You know, if it was like a boss sweater, I had the Jesus is my boss sweatshirts. I was like, I was so, so saved. I memorized DC Talk songs like I was in it, you know. And uh, I remember there was a fight that broke out. And this kid is just getting pummeled. And I'm just thinking, this is my moment. I am going to shine like a light in the darkness. And I I was sitting in the back of the bus and I got up and I walked through and I just felt just, yes, we're going to write things. There's going to be a revival that's going to break up right now. And I go, stop, stop it. What would Jesus do? <laughs> Y'all, this dude, it was like the, the, the record screech. It was like, ah! you know, because everybody was like, yeah, beat his butt. Ah! And, you know, they were yelling. All of a sudden I say this, it went perfectly silent. This dude that was like pummeling this guy's like froze mid-swing and looked at me and goes, mother, Jesus? <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for this one. Um, <laughs> And I realized real quick in a conflict that not everybody gives a rip about Jesus. And in fact, much of the world that we live in is completely counterculture to Jesus, to the ways of Jesus. And what got exposed in me is I had a deep-seated need to be liked by people. And so this began, this unveiling in my heart in high school is where I realized, oh, wait, that's not cool here. And I began to allow my idol worship of being approved by men and women to define me and to direct me. There is a cadence to our captivity. There is a cadence to our captivity. And we have to recognize it. When you read this Bible, I guarantee you, that there are layers of idolatry in your heart. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus or how long you haven't been. There are still areas of our lives that if we look at this Bible, we'll realize that we have not been functioning out of the heartbeat of God. There's people in here, you've prayed for the sick, you may even prophesied over people. You've been in the Bible group, city group and you've led one. And yet when it comes to the way that you view yourself, you're still captive by the old rhythms of destruction and insecurity. There's some of you in here 
that you've been in church, you amen, you shout, you worship, and yet in some of these areas, when the cultural beat drops counter to the word of God, you still march. Because all of us, the closer that we get to the word, the closer that we get to the Lord, it, it is a t- double-edged sword. It cuts us. It refines us. It, it makes us more like Jesus by cutting away the areas that aren't. Y'all hear me this morning. It's so important that we get this. Because what you have to understand is there is a really, really sick and, and at times disheartening sickness that is sweeping through the churches across the United States. And it's that we have made being liked an idol. We are so afraid of being labeled by the culture that rather than allowing ourselves to be defined and directed by God and his word, we are allowing the culture to shape us. Saying, oh my gosh, you guys don't like this side of us? Like, did you hear what they said about us? We must be what they said. We must, if they say that we're evil, if they say that we're this, we must be. So let's change who we are. Let's be a little less harsh. I know, I know the Bible says this, but they, you know what, he just probably didn't understand then. I'm sure it wasn't bad as it is now. I mean, God bless his heart. God bless God's heart. We treat God like that. Like, oh, silly, omniscient, omnipresent God. I'm sure he didn't foresee some of the things that we would desire now and didn't have grace and provision for that. And so then we allow the culture around us to define it rather than allowing ourselves to be defined and directed by God. It says in John 15, I want to read this to you and I'm going to move right along, but it's important that you hear this. That sometimes, especially for those of you, well, all of us, we are called to be light and darkness. We're called to be light and darkness. Which means we ought not just hang around lights all the time. We ought to be placed and sent out into places where it is dark, where most of the people around us don't think the way that we do when it comes to the ways of God, so that we can shine and we can reveal his hope and his truth and his freedom and his power to those that don't know him, so that they can come into a revelation of his truth. However, you better believe that they didn't crucify Jesus for nothing. Man, it's quiet in here this morning. I know, it's okay. They didn't crucify him for nothing. It wasn't just unsaved folks, it was religious folks too. Because he came to reveal the brokenness so that grace could be applied. But it says in John 15. I'm going to read this to you. Jesus is basically kind of giving them a a warning. In verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you and its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. When you begin to walk in the direction, if you begin to be defined by God, 
when you begin to be directed by God, know this, the world will hate you. Oh gosh, that hurts. Now I'm not just telling you to be like some weird jerk all of a sudden. Like we know, you've seen the caricatures, you see them on TV a lot of times, you've maybe been around this kind of people, that it's like they just have this, they, it's like lacking grace, not functioning in the, in the love of God. They've actually made a whole nother set of idols. They just look a lot more churchy, so they get by with it. Being rude, I'm not going to say that because my mom doesn't want me to do that. Um, I love you, mama. My mom keeps me from getting too free. Uh, being a jerk is not a fruit of the Spirit. However, there is a time where we will be called to clarify and to articulate and to communicate who we are submitted to. And at the end of the day, you will make a decision in those moments, are you defined and directed by God or by the culture? Are you defined and directed by God or by CNN? Are you defined and directed by God or by Fox News? Are you defined and directed by God or by the latest fad and parade or whatever is going on in social media? What is determining your allegiance? And in those times, you must, by the grace of God, you must trust that he is true and that he is faithful. I want to tell you what happened here in Daniel, in the book of Daniel. Because the king was not happy. And he did what he said he was going to do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't even have to question what they were going to do. It says in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, let it be known, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so he was filled with fury, and he tosses them into the fiery furnace, and he turns up the heat on it seven times. It's like, I'm going to make sure y'all are good and charred. We're never going to hear from you again. You won't be a problem anymore. It said the heat was so hot that the people that he sent to cast them in died. But what baffled him is he looks in the furnace and he goes, didn't we just put three people in there? There's a fourth in there that looks like the Son of God. He's like, wait, they're still standing. What's happening? God honored their surrender and their worship, and he stepped into the fire with them. And Nebuchadnezzar orders for them to be taken out, and it says that they did not, their clothes were not singed, and they didn't even smell like smoke. They made a decision. They trusted God. And in the midst of the opposition, in the infuriating opposition, they were, went into the fire. Sometimes God will let you go into the fire. He'll let you go into the fire. He'll let you go into the room where you know every one of your colleagues thinks that you're an idiot. 
He'll let you go into a situation where all of the people in your workplace think that that little Christian thing that you do, that's sweet. But they're just condescending you. They think you're less than. Or that group of friends thinks that you're just judgmental and hateful. That's going to happen. Especially, it's going to happen more and more. And yet, when we choose to allow our lives to be surrendered to Jesus, he is with us. The beautiful thing about life in Christ is that no matter what we face, he's always with us. He's always with us. And that, my friends, is why worship not only defines and directs, but it makes you dangerous. It makes you dangerous. You see, it was as a result of them standing on truth and choosing to worship God above all the idols that Nebuchadnezzar makes a declaration that their God, he's like, you know what, I don't even know what's going on right now, but clearly their God wins. So he makes, he changes the decree. He says their God will be the God that we worship. Don't you, I'm telling you right now, if you can trust God and endure through the hate, haters going to hate. You know what I'm saying? You might show, tweak one thing, and then they're going to hate something else until you become defined into something you don't even recognize anymore. There will always be haters. Until Jesus comes back, there's going to be wickedness and brokenness and people telling you that you need to let them live their truth. But if you will shine in the darkness, not just be, you know, you can have a light that's in the darkness, but if it's not shining, it's useless. Useless. But if you will shine in the darkness, it allows people to see and give glory to your Father in heaven. It allows you to withstand the test of time and show people, oh, that actually works. That actually works. When you walk in the new clothes of righteousness and love and peace and unity that he's given you, rather than taking on the old garments all all of a sudden, then you begin to deliver and help people see serving Jesus isn't just right, it's better. It's better. See, much of what we read when we read the book of Romans and we read the epistles and we read Colossians, we forget, we can lose sight of the fact that Paul is writing this letter to, the, to Colossae from prison. They imprisoned him. Why? For helping people get free. For telling people about the good news of Jesus. For standing against the idolatry of the age. And yet, because he knew who defined him and he knew his direction, he was dangerous. You couldn't deter him. What can man do to me? God designed you to be a worshiper. He designed you to be in such close fellowship with him that in him and with him you would become all that you were called to be. Genesis tells us that we were made in the image of God. And so if you want to become like God, you've got to behold him. You've got to take him in. You've got to read this word. You've got to learn how to read it appropriately. One of the resources we've been encouraging people over the course of this series is our purple book or our foundations book. Why it's so great is it helps you systematically be able to understand the foundations of our faith and be able to help you see what the word says versus what just the culture says or a spiritual tweet. I'm so sick and tired of like scriptures being taken out of context by spiritual people on social media. 
And folks are going, oh my gosh, it's so amazing because it reinforces what I've already thought in my dead life. I don't mean to be like sarcastic and demeaning, but the reality is so much. So many Christians and so often it's so easy to take the little morsels that we see that agree with our old life but sound like a new one. I told you guys, it's like when I'm, I'm looking for a new, a new car, or not a new car, but a car that is new to me. And as you're looking at all these cars, there's plenty of them that they look good, but then you'll see this little thing that says rebuilt. A rebuilt title. And a lot of times it's still got the old junk, jank, but they just made it look real nice on the outside. It's kind of new. God doesn't want you to experience a kind of new life. He wants you to walk in a new life, in a resurrection life, in a life that is defined by him, that is directed by him, and makes you dangerous to accomplish all that he's called you to accomplish. He wants you to have a dangerous marriage, the kind of marriage that makes the enemy tremble because it gives hope to people who have never seen a healthy marriage. And they see your life, not that it's perfect, you're still going to have conflict, you're going to still have arguments, you're still not going to want to watch, you know, Pride and Prejudice, you know, as much as she might want to. But every once in a while, she'll go and watch Affinity Wars with you. And you say, I love you, baby. Thank you. But my point is that you can have the kind of marriage that endures the hard times. So when somebody else is going through that, they don't just start looking for papers and pens. But they actually say, you know what? God is a covenant-keeping God. And I've seen this played out, and I think we can walk through this. You can help people and be dangerous, not because you've gotten, you, because you never fall or you never sin, but you've trusted God and that he has affirmed you and encouraged you and given you power to overcome that temptation. So when somebody else is going through it, that they don't have to just throw up their hands and go, I guess I'm just meant to be a lust dog all my life. There's no hope. There's no way out. But there's a life that you can say, you know what? He's not living perfect, but he's living by the, under the grace of God. And I can follow him. I can follow her. I can learn. And we can see moment by moment. People shutting off the cadence of their captivity and aligning their hearts with the heartbeat of God. Aligning their lives with the cadence of Christ. That when the beat drops, that when the sound of the Lord is released, when the word is released, when the music and the culture is released, we have no question in our mind who our heart aligns with. Every one of you in this place, each of you, there is a cadence that you will be met with the moment you leave here. Even now, as you're listening to me, you know, sometimes when I'm studying or I'm prepping during the week, I'll be at a coffee shop or, and one of the things I'm always battling with is I'll have my headphones on. I got to turn it up loud enough so that the music that's playing in the place doesn't distract me. And sometimes it can just be downright battle. And you find yourself in the same battle where we're trying, Lord, I'm trying to listen to your truth, but man, I got all these sounds around me combating and, and competing. But I challenge you. Sometimes you just got to turn off the other noise. And you got to saturate yourself in this word. Trusting. You know, I'm telling you, you might not even feel at times, like sometimes when people, they start doing reading plans, they're like, I don't really understand what everything is, but this word, I'm telling you, if you just begin to activate it, even if you don't fully understand it at first, as you just begin to read his word and worship him, it's kind of like water. It's like, you know, water, as a river flows, 
It might not, you might not see all the shaping and the changing that it's doing to the surrounding areas, but over time, it'll form a canyon. And as you begin to read this word and allow it to work, it's going to shape you. Then you begin to activate certain things and apply it. Say, oh God, this is what you mean. And you get around other people that are encouraging you to follow him as well, rather than encouraging you to find ways to edit out the Bible. Then all of a sudden, over time, you will find your life becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what he wants you to walk in. I want to invite you today as I'm wrapping up. Kyle, you can come on ahead and come back up. There's two things that I want to challenge us in. One, if you're here today, this morning, and you have declared and you've confessed your submission, your surrender to the Lord. You have acknowledged him as the one of whom you will direct your worship. And yet, at the same time, we're still learning how to cast down those idols in our lives. I want to give you an opportunity this morning just to surrender and to say, Lord, I see, I believe that even as I've been speaking today, the Holy Spirit has been giving you insight to areas that you have maybe compromised in, maybe areas that you've still been holding on to, idols that you have yet to release. And I want to invite you to repent this morning, to cast down those idols and to make a choice. God, I, I don't even know what it all looks like, but I submit my life to you And I want every area, not just some, not just 80% of my life, but all of my life to be defined by you, to be defined by your word. I want to align my heart that what you say, I say. What you do, I do. What you love, I love. And what you hate, I hate. I want to invite you to repent of your pride and repent of your idolatry. And many times, it's not even just our idolatry. One of the most powerful idols in our life is not anything external. It's ourselves. That we'd repent of trusting ourselves and align our hearts with him. There's also others in here that you've never aligned yourself with the Lord. And in fact, you have been functioning and living in the cadence of this world that maybe you've seen Christians from a distance, maybe you even were around them, but you know that your heart has not been surrendered, your life has not been surrendered to the Lord. I want to invite you to come out of captivity and walk in freedom today. He's here for you. And the life that he has for you is greater than you can ever imagine. See, the beauty is that Many of the world, they, the scripture says that they hate him because they don't know him. They don't know the Father. They haven't experienced the love. And we have an opportunity not just to know him, but to make him known. And we want you to know him today. If you're here this morning and you want to get to know him, you don't know him yet, we want to connect with you. We ask you, come and visit us at City Central. Let us know, hey, I, I was here this morning. I need to know more about this Jesus. I want to know how I can walk with him. We will connect you and help you meet somebody that can let you get on these first steps and engage in God. But know that you are a worshiper. 
And if we don't worship God, we will be defined by many things, but it will not be the things that we need to be. And we will be directed, but the direction and the path that it takes us on will be a direction of brokenness and death and disappointment. And ultimately, we will be dangerous. We'll be a danger to ourselves and those around us because we'll just continue to perpetuate a culture of death rather than being about the life and life more abundantly that Christ has called us to. Let's pray. God, I'm asking you today, Lord, in your mercy, that you reveal to us the areas in our life that are not aligned with you. Lord, in your love, that you would help us to fully come into an understanding of your sound, your sound that rings true, your voice that rings true. Lord, I'm asking that you would give us the grace to repent. Lord, that you would give us the grace to, Lord, to shut off the static. Lord, that you would cut off, that you'd pull the plug on the rhythms and the cadence of our captivity and our captors, of the culture that we're in. Lord, that you would help us to have the courage to break off allegiances, even when it hurts and even when those around us may hate us, whether it be for a season or whether they never understand. But Lord, that you would give us the resolve to clearly communicate who it is that our lives are surrendered to. Lord, I thank you that you're here with us. The glory that you've called us to, the victory that you're drawing us to is great and is worth the surrender. We praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give him praise? Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and